watchers in the fourth dimension. Anybody else want to die like a hero? Now where did I put my bag of marbles? Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And Trump and Galactic Gobstoppers, why didn't you tell me it was alive? (laughs) (laughs) That was quite good. All right, this episode, we are discussing the show's very last story with missing episodes. It's a story that doesn't have the best reputation within fandom and one that is often seen as a blemish on the record of one of the absolute titans of the show. If you haven't figured it out already, we are discussing the one and only The Space Pirates. This story's history takes us back to earlier in the season. If you're a regular listener, you will have heard us talk about the issues behind the scenes that led to Robert Holmes's The Crotons being brought forward ahead of where it was originally planned for the season. This left a gap in the schedule where that story should have been. And so Holmes submitted another proposal, which he pitched as a futuristic homage to the Western genre. The Space Pirates was duly commissioned in November 1968. Now, at this point in the history of the show, producer Peter Bryant was in the process of moving on, and script editor Derek Sherwin was starting to make the step up into Bryant's role. However, with incoming script editor working diligently on rewriting the two-thirds of this story's predecessor, The Seeds of Death, and co-writing the mammoth ten-part story that would follow it, he was unable to perform that role for this story. As a result, Derek Sherwin stepped back into his old role and acted as script editor for one final time. Assigned as director for this story was Michael Hart, making his sole contribution to the show. He is also known for directing episodes of Compact, Softly Softly, Yes, Zed Cars, and Crossroads. (laughs) On the creative side, Hart was backed up by Dudley Simpson, once again providing incidental music. Nicholas Bulin was assigned as costumer, his first appearance on the show, and he will also contribute to the next story, The War Games. He only has one other TV credit to his name, a show called Plays of Today. Finally, as designer, we have Ian Watson making the first of two contributions to the show, and we will see him again in season eight. Over the course of his career, he gained some serious sci-fi cred, working on Doomwatch, Survivors, and the, if you'll pardon the pun, seminal film Inseminoid which was known as Horror Planet in the US. I am not going to pardon that pun. Please continue. (laughs) Filming for The Space Pirates was impacted by the next story's extraordinary length, as an extra week of pre-filming was needed for the war games, which meant that the regular cast was unavailable for the final week of recording of The Space Pirates. As a result, all of the material in Episode 6 that involved the Doctor, Jamie, and Zoe was pre-recorded without the rest of the cast. Now, finally... A little tidbit around the recording of episode one, which marked the last time that Doctor Who would be recorded at Lime Grove, the studio that the very first episode was recorded in. Oh, I know. It's kind of an end of an era. The studio that they hated recording in, if I remember correctly. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) Anyway, that wraps up our behind the scenes information. And so we move into our short summary, which is in the hands of Julie this episode. Take it away, Julie. There once was a ship traveling in space and time, and the name of that ship was the Tarasoma. Landing on a beacon, the TARDIS crew departs, should have listened to Jamie and go. Soon may the space pirates come to steal your beacons made of Argonite, or one day when the stealing is done, they'll destroy your planet and go. Yeah! 
let's talk about this story, episode one, which starts off with some fairly nice, admittedly CGI, given that it's loose cannon model work. It matches what we see in episode two, though. So I yes, think they did does. an excellent job. It was some very good model work. Mm-hmm. And we get a whole lot of it. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. I actually do like the model work, especially the little minnows. The, the, yeah. The minnow yeah. spaceship. I really like that one. Honestly, all of the model work with all of the different little spaceships really reminds me of the work of Jerry Anderson. Things like Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet, UFO, those kinds of shows. I think it's really kind of kitsch and enjoyable. We got a more Ice Warriors-esque soundtrack work as well. Um, <sighs> over the title cards? Yeah. Yeah, and mixed throughout the serial. What was frustrating to me about the music, and I guess since you already talked about it, I really kind of liked the music, but not for the story. Yeah. It made no sense. I was like, this is supposed to be pirates, and yet I get this like vibe that it's supposed to be some sort of like eerie suspense thriller and not like jaunty pirate music i don't think he actually saw what they were doing for the music that he wrote because the music itself by itself is good in context you are completely right it just doesn't really work and it's supposed to be as anthony mentioned trying to be a western so can they've just done a couple more verses the ballad of the last chance saloon Uh. Well, the funny thing was, is there were a few moments where I sat there and I thought that like the female voice was, I wouldn't say equivalent to, but similar enough to like the Spaghetti West, uh, like Anir Morcone, but just only on the surface. (laughs) So it just, it never connected. Right. And it doesn't have that like awesome, like unique percussion that usually Morcone uses for those Spaghetti Westerns. That's usually what makes it feel Western is not just the voice. It's all of the components. And in this, it was like, okay, we just have a woman singing. Okay, this is really odd. Um, I don't get it. And at no point did I ever feel like they were pirates. No. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't look like pirates. They looked like they were all wearing Darth Helmet's headwear. Or they stole it from Ice Warriors. <laughs> yeah, they're just space assholes. Yes. Pirates. <laughs> yeah, especially because there's only two of them. I was expecting like a whole <laughs> ship of pirates. But they like, always talk about like there's so many more. Like, but it's just those couple guys. Come on. <laughs> and one of them's nervous as hell, Dervish. Yeah. I think. Yes. Like, oh yeah. Why did he even become one of them if being a space pirate makes him uncomfortable? Like, dude, you, you need to find a different career path. Because he made a mistake once. <laughs> we will that, make mistakes. that is the only explanation we get. All right, so I need to ask about something. Why does General Hernak sound like that? That's his actual voice. He that keeps is Jack May. Switching between some accents and just the way that he states stuff, it really took me out of the story. So weird. I love his voice. He was Igor in Count Ducula, which was a cartoon I adored as a child. And he also plays the head waiter in the, in the TV version of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And he sounds like that in virtually that everything he's been so in. That is so bizarre. Also, from a character perspective, once again, I don't see why he's in charge of anything. He jumps mm-hmm. to conclusions way too easily. And yet, he doesn't get that the mining company is doing anything wrong and is siding with the pirates. Right. No matter how <laughs> clearly it's, are you not catching what's going on here? <sighs> But we'll get to the big example of that eventually. (laughs) Going back to his voice, 
I, there was a part where I actually really rewound twice in order to figure out what he was saying because I swear to God, I thought he said the term space waves. And I just thought, <laughs> oh shit, what are we in for? Space waves? Space but no, he was saying space ways. Uh, uh, yeah. I also, one of the other comments that I thought really strange was they talked about brush fire wars in yes. other sectors. And I was like, we're in space. <laughs> Where's the brush fire? They're trying to make it sound more Western. But he also gives the line that I'm kind of shocked because I thought Riley was going to use this for his intro, where he says, <laughs> I am not interested in man's comfort, Major. <laughs> and it just, his delivery, it made me laugh. And I really thought Riley was going to do that, but he didn't. Well, you know, I kind of feel like that, as well as the serial as a whole, kind of got bulldozed by Milo. So it kind of... Yeah permeated my brain that I couldn't really pick up on anything else that was going on. Not that there was much else going on, but something a <laughs> little like that. You know what I found frustrating and I started to notice it in this first episode and definitely noticed it throughout most of the second was that there were no women anywhere. Yeah, not in this one, and no. Like one of the things I said was, good God, we need a smart woman to mix everything up. Like it it's just bad. It was just a whole bunch of men in space not knowing what the hell was going on. And since recently we've had really good supporting female characters, I was very disappointed. I can just see your notice. What this story needs is a smart woman with metal hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the hair. That's very Blake 7, but nine <sighs> years before Blake 7 actually happened. Yeah. So I guess I guess it's the other way around. This probably influenced Blake 7 probably. in so the costume department. With 10 minutes left in the episode, the TARDIS finally decides to show up. <laughs> 15 minutes in. And so that's actually the record in all of Doctor Who, in literally all of it, 15 minutes before we see a regular character. Well, I mean, it's not like they're in much of the next episode either. No, so. no. They they spend the entire serial going from being trapped in one place to being trapped in another place to being trapped in another place. <laughs> but it's not a base under siege. I mean, Patrick Troughton had been complaining about how exhausting the schedule was, so I can only assume that they decided to give him some easy shoots. But he didn't story. like this episode either. Or at least because he complained this in the second episode, he's like, I can't, we're still on this, this beacon set. We've gone nowhere. Yeah. <sighs> and also, again, I, I mentioned it in my short summary, but we had another instance of, you should have listened to Jamie. Yes, they should have eaten yes, more porridge. <laughs> <laughs> yep, thank you. No, because like, he, like, they get off and they're like, oh, we, there's, there's no one here. It's, everything's going to be fine. He's like, I have a bad feeling about this. We should go. The funny thing is, for as much of an impact as they really have on the plot, they could have just left then, and nothing really would have changed too drastically. Yeah. No. Yeah. And they're not in it that much anyway. They're complete passengers, and it's it's because the, the lead character is Milo. He's, he's, the, he's, he's the lead character of the serial. I mean, and that's part of the reason why it's terrible. <laughs> he I mean, is, they're just, they're yeah. just passengers. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's disappointing. As passengers, though, they do get to be cliffhanger fodder quite a lot. You know, the, the pirates come in, they're going to blow up the beacon with our heroes still on board it, and that leads us into mm -hmm. our cliffhanger and into episode two. I mean, you know, that's basically what they're there for, is to be, I think as Don would put it, peril monkeys. 
Yeah, which, I mean, you already had another crew on there that they, they could have done the same thing with. This almost feels like a pilot for another show. But at least the cliffhanger was pretty yeah. good. The Adventures yeah. of Milo Clancy. Big finish. <laughs> no, no, big finish. Do not do this. Do not do this. And and going back to it, as Anthony mentioned, this is the last lost in chronology, the last lost episodes. Whoever's out there looking for it, don't. Let it stay lost. <laughs> All right, episode two. All the space docking porn you would ever want. <laughs> I like how you go there, and my one of my first comments was, "Oh, the guy wants coffee, but Polly isn't there to make the coffee." <laughs> and, and what is the, what is the deal with the coffee? They are wearing the most extravagant, flashiest uniforms I've ever seen for the space for something like a space corps, and they're just got basic little paper cup. And they're going, oh yeah, coffee cups. Oh, you That's mean it. when? when general a-hole curses yeah. a guy out for something and it isn't his fault at all and then they just wander over and have some coffee <laughs> yep. i'm surprised he hasn't hurt himself on his little pips on his enormous you know neck shoulder pad thingy on his uniform <laughs> i i do love how he says well i don't know if anyone's alive on that beacon now and of course we know once again yes, there are. jumping to a conclusion Heaven forbid you actually check something out first. Now, Riley, I, I know you mentioned the, the spacecraft porn and docking and undocking, but again, let's put this in context. This is 1969. Man is maybe four months at this time, five months away from landing on the moon. So we were seeing a lot of this kind of thing on the news, on TV at the time. And yeah, it's it's not thrilling to us now, but... All I'm saying is just don't make it gratuitous. Make it classy, like 2001, <laughs> yeah, you know. with some classical music in the background. Romantic, nice and slow. That's all I'm asking. Yeah, oh. a plot and some romance. <laughs> you don't want to listen to this crazy old guy on a really old ship sing Over the Rainbow? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, you mean Cowboy Stalin and his Jimmy Stewart impression? <laughs> Oh my god, when he walked out there wearing the plaid and a neckerchief, and yet he's wearing like sparkly, like capri yeah. pants. Yes. I was oh my god. I was like, what what were they thinking? What is going on? And then like you're right with this somewhere over the rainbow. I'm like, what the hell and are then, they trying to do? And then he gets to sit there with his little TV tray and his TV dinner, and he's about he's about to eat, and then he gets frustrated. And he has like a really terrible rolling chair that doesn't really roll and he like scoots it over because he's too lazy to get off his ass. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They probably debated for like days whether or not to add a wah wah sound to like him <laughs> trying to eat his breakfast. So we have a pirate story and Robert Holmes in all of his wisdom decides let's drop in a cowboy who sounds like Foghorn Leghorn, because that belongs in a pirate no, story. No, no, no. That's not Foghorn Leghorn. That is a Jimmy <laughs> Stewart impression. Yes. Yes, it is. It is Jimmy Stewart with, like, Foghorn Leghorn colloquialisms. And all of that by way of Sydney, Australia. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, God. <sighs> oh. He is everything about this serial. He's put forward so so much, and he is absolutely terrible. He is the Jar Jar Binks <laughs> of classic Doctor Who. I was watching it. You know, when I looked up, it was Robert Holmes, right? Robert Holmes is the writer, you said? Yep. And I and I see his his history with the show and all the episodes that I've seen later that he's done. I'm like, well, that was good. That was good. 
And I kept thinking like, he had a George Lucas moment, didn't he? When he was <laughs> writing this, he was probably had the directors and the producer around and, sa- and said, you know what? Milo is the key to all of this. <laughs> I don't think he really had any say in how it was performed. But I do just, I, I wonder like, how can you fit in context the outfit and the, and the entire thing? Just never mind the, the entire thing. How do you go, yes, this is what we're doing, even though it makes no real sense with our narrative. There's probably a reason that Michael Hart was never invited back to direct for the show again. <laughs> Clearly yeah. he overdosed on drugs that he was taking while making this. But then we get the scene with Mr. Annoying Voice General, Sorry, Anthony, but he bothered me. And Milo, (laughs) both just (laughs) yammering on at each other. And the general doing yet another conclusion jump when he could have verified Milo's story if he's been filing all these reports. But no, that sounds like work. It doesn't help that as a reconstruction, the audio quality was also a bit iffy. So at times, I literally could not understand like half the words that Milo was saying. I had to pull up the transcript and read it along as he was speaking. I, yeah. yeah. We we do get a nice little bit of backstory and in, in the history of this time period and how Clancy and his compatriots were used to deep space being a wild frontier and suddenly pirates start popping up and Clancy and co have been mining Argonite, which is clearly the, the gold of space. Yes. So I get what they're trying to do, but I, I still think throwing in or merging the cowboy genre and the pirate genre and putting it in space is just such a weird creative decision. It could work, but it has to feel organic. And we know about the Argonite because the general says it 75,000 times, or at least (laughs) once per sentence. Because, like, we've seen space cowboys before. Like, what I say before, I'm referring to Serenity in in Firefly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With that, we know it can be done well, and it just was nowhere close. Yeah, and the Western no. has worked in space several times. For example, the Mandalorian is straight yes. up a Western. That is it. Yep, agreed. Um, yeah, agreed. So we get like one little scene, maybe two little scenes of uh, the Doctor with the companions, and at least one of the things that they did keep is the little asides with the companions, like talking about the Doctor as if he's not there mm-hmm. and how ridiculous he is. And I'm like, okay, that was a nice little moment. Thank you for giving me like one thing to grab onto <laughs> in the rest of this nonsense. We also get Jamie playing with the magnets. To Dr. Hansen, and that was really fun. I like that. Julie, were you disappointed when the doctor starts using a traditional screwdriver? <sighs> I know it's it's about to happen, but like I really want the real thing, and it's not here yet. We already had a usage of the sonic screwdriver, and yeah. there's a later episode in this serial where it also would have come in handy, but even if they didn't go with that, they could have used the recorder. Yeah, because they've yep. done that. They've done that same type of thing before. Agreed. Agreed. And so we finally get a female character, Madeline. Finally, but that's not Zoe. Obviously, the lady with an eggplant on her head. A, a non-regular lady with non-regular hair. She has the most character growth of anyone in this mm-hmm. serial, so I can't hate it. But at the same time, I don't love her as a character. I just don't. She's very naive. I'm a little confused by her character arc. I don't know if I should talk about that now or wait till we're deeper into the serial. Maybe wait till we're deeper. deeper. So they get shot off into space 
And then someone tries to break in because I'm going to ignore some of that other stuff. And Jamie gets shot. Yeah. And I just, I can't. At this point in the show's history, everyone knows Fraser Hines is leaving. And this episode ends with Zoe screaming, you murderer, after Jamie just having been shot. I mean, at the time, one could be forgiven for thinking that maybe they had actually killed Jamie off two episodes into this story. Can you imagine if they killed Jamie with Jar Jar Binks there? I know <laughs> that he was the murderer. That would be like kind of mind blowing. <laughs> like they would get so much hate mail. <laughs> you, you know who probably would have stopped watching it? Me. I would have yeah. been like, oh, you killed off Jamie. I'm done. And then people would be like, oh no, they, he didn't die. And I'd be like, I don't trust you. <laughs> so we're now two episodes in. And aside from a little bit of a chase scene in, in episode one, Clancy gunning down Jamie is basically the first interaction that the TARDIS crew have had with anyone else so far this story. Mm-hmm. Two episodes in. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So episode three. Episode three. has One of the few times I was able to pull out a little pearl of something nice out of this serial is that when on the landing approach, Jamie makes this just completely dismissive kind of like cynical statement, snarky statement. He goes, who cares as long as it's quick? (laughs) That's how I feel about this serial, Jamie. But they finally got off the beacon. And they're with Clancy. Yeah. So that's that's nice for them. Is it though? No. (laughs) Because the Liz is what I call it, is getting shot at and all this other crazy stuff is happening. It's his teapot gets destroyed and the whole irony of that whole thing is at some point he's like he's talking with zoe and he's like it doesn't matter zoe go like go make some tea i'm like the teapot was destroyed yes she can't make any tea also she's more useful than tea thank you very much so also i'm gonna talk about this because it bugs me he uses some clever old space west frontier knowledge to get rid of the space core by dumping two tons of copper needles find them okay who carries that kind of weight around for such an eventuality good question good good question someone who's been in space for too long and has deep space sickness that's who see that's an almost logical explanation and i don't think that's what they were going for question on isigri why does general hermak keep visiting her because he's interested in her that's why that's, that's what mm-hmm. i'll say there's no other women in space yeah <laughs> And then also in episode two, she talked about how she did not see Clancy as a rival. Uh-huh. And Clancy's like, she's my sworn enemy. The whole backstory really confused me. Like his Clancy's yeah. father or Clancy's partner, her father. I am not sure when he supposedly died or at least disappeared and no one bothered to look for him and just thought he was dead. Yeah. The whole timeline of events here is very confusing yeah it's all confusing there was a part where i was like she's known the whole time that he was alive and then i was like no wait apparently she didn't know so why was she following the pirates like it none of it made sense yeah it's almost like the story was written in a rush because something else in the schedule fell through and they had to rearrange things the whole thing seems very first rough draft And then I don't know in what context this happened, but I did write just two words and it was Gruyere cheese. (laughs) I I just know that it was mentioned and I thought I had to point that out. And then I was like, crap, I don't remember what that was in reference to. 
If anyone can figure that out, I'm sure that is the rosebud moment of our show. <laughs> Gruyere cheese. <laughs> what does it mean? Who knows? So, Hermac's an idiot. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Madeline has the exact same model of ships that the pirates use. They know that the pirates <gasps> use these ships. Hermac is in this dinged up old thing called the Liz, and yet Hermac still, not Hermac, Clancy's in this dinged up thing called the Liz, and Hermac still suspects Clancy. Yes, using what? his poverty <laughs> to hide his involvement. And not only does he think Clancy is involved, he thinks he is the big mastermind behind it all. <laughs> yeah. And it's so weird because also, like, Clancy has, like, this history of being like a really good space pilot and all of all of these other things. So it's like at one point he was looked up to, but apparently after like 20, 30 years in space, everyone has just decided that he's gone off the deep end and has become a pirate. I'm like, that doesn't make any logical sense. None of None it. whatsoever. There could have been so much better development for his character. I mean, all we have him is being eccentric, but we don't show him as having any explanation of what you just said. For example, maybe he like, you know, fell into a bottle. You know, that would fit the old Westy stereotype. Mm -hmm. And that would be why everyone ostracizes him and why he's like was really good 20 years ago. And now he's like a shadow of himself. That, and then maybe he can like turn himself around and that's his plot arc. That would be interesting. But no, we don't have that. <laughs> or how about we have a situation which I would prefer where the character is more like a junker and he's more like a sassy like Fred Sanford character from <laughs> Sanford and Son. That would be a lot more fun. I would enjoy that too. And he's looked down upon because he's a junker. He isn't like a minor. Excuse me. I have got to go pitch a show to Netflix of Sanford and Son in Space. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys later. I love how the majority of this has been us discussing how we could make this make any sort of sense. Not even how to make it amazing, just how to make it a story. Yeah. Here's the other thing. So we do once again get Zoe getting to be smart yep. using applied mathematics to figure out where the pirate's base is, right? Mm -hmm. So she yeah. still gets to be clever. She figures it out that the TARDIS is literally 10 miles from where they are now at Isigri's base. The evidence is mounting up against her, and yet the TARDIS crew also still suspect Clancy. The hell, people! Because this, they they want you to, they want the audience to suspect Clancy, but the way it's the way it's presented doesn't go with that. So as a viewer, you're frustrated because you're like, this guy has nothing to do with it. Also, when they mention the thing, she basically turns to the camera as if to go, "Look, I'm in it with them." It's just, mm -hmm. ugh. and the yeah. question I have on that is, is that from the script? Or is that from Michael Hart being a crap director who they never invited back to the show? <laughs> I, I think it's both, but I do think that a better director could have worked with this story. Yeah. Not saying it would have been great, but I feel like it would have been better than what we got. Just saying, if Julia Smith had this, we'd at least have shirtless men running around. So. <laughs> That's how the pirates should have been dressed. <laughs> yeah, another pirate story. So we've barely talked about Dervish and Kavan. Dervish has like a C minus mustache. Just throwing <laughs> that out there. It's not that great, especially compared to other mustaches that we've had throughout the season. So. And even other mustaches in this serial. Oh, yes, that too. Also, Carvin is another terrible boss. He is asking for his own crew to kill him. Yeah. If the Space Corps hadn't finally pulled their head out of their rectum and, you know, shot him, spoilers, at the end of the serial, 
one of his guys was going to do it for him. You mean Dervish, the only one of his others of his guys that we really get The to only know? one we get to know, but just the way he treats people and he's involved with pirates and criminals, somebody's going to kill him. It's, it's just going to happen. All right, TARDIS crew is in the mine. Where Zoe sees two men cutting up pieces of scrap, she thinks they're pirates, and yet, weren't we told this was a Seagreaves base? Ugh. But they weren't told that. I, I don't True. know. I don't, it was very convenient they saw that, and then they go and, at least at the end of this, appear to go down a, a mine shaft that just goes on forever, based on their screams. Cliffhanger. It's our cliffhanger. Yes. Where it's resolved by, they slid like four feet, so it's no big deal. Episode four. Episode four. I believe this is that the the mine shaft that they get to that lock, right? That audio yeah. lock. It's conveniently a prison cell. Right. They didn't audio even lock. have to get captured this time. They just dropped themselves into it. <laughs> That's efficient storytelling. And I believe you already mentioned it. The recorder. Audio lock. Yeah. The yeah. recorder. This yes. is it. This is the moment. This is the, this moment. Is the moment. And we didn't get and it. And they don't use it. We yeah. also get a moment where... Sorba's in there, and instead of the doctor having a rock, Jamie is the one who has the rock. So we just decide that someone else needs to kill some people with rocks. I love that Sorba's around. I think he's the first person of color we've had with a speaking role in quite a while. That part is fine. What I disagree with is that it makes no sense that they kept him around. Oh, they had to. He needed to be killed at the end of this episode for the cliffhanger. (laughs) That is literally the only reason he's still there. But that did nothing. No, but that's what it's killed did nothing. You needed some guy to get killed to show the danger they were in. That's all it was for. If Dervish is still gathering up the pieces of the beacon, how is Sorba already there? They already had that chunk, I guess. I really don't I care. Guess. It's it's I'm I'm not going to this. Did anyone else think that the drawing pins the doctor had in his pocket were going to be of any significance or mean something? No. I thought maybe. <laughs> With this story? No. Well, one thing I had uh just to quickly go back, they had knocked Sorba out like at the very very beginning when they were when the pirates were still on there, so I think that they took him to their their spaceship before they even blew apart the beacon. Okay, that's a reasonable explanation. Oh, thank yeah. you, there you, there you go. You're welcome. All right, they're going around trying to get out of the mineshaft cavern cell thing. And, of course, he has the stethoscope because he remembers the stethoscope, but he doesn't remember his recorder. Like, how dare you? Or the sonic screwdriver. Two previously yeah. established things. Uh, I've been trying with this one, guys. I really have. Stop trying. <laughs> Don't. Stop. I mean, I'm glad that Jamie got to do something, and the way that he does it is he gets angry and he throws things, and apparently that's what makes it work. Yay, Jamie! That was that was very convenient. I mean, in this particular episode, this is really filler. Mm-hmm. They don't even get captured. They just fall into a cell. They yeah. escape the cell, and then they wind up going and finally realizing that Madeline's a bad guy. Oh, and Sorba gets shot because... Yeah. They needed somebody to at the end of this. That's that's it. That is all that happens. It's yeah. not a great episode. It is the most filler episode I've seen in Doctor Who in a long time. But and it makes me very sad. There is one bit that I liked. It's when the Doctor finds the switch and he wonders if it's connected and he gets shocked. And then so he says, <laughs> yep, it's connected in a very snarky way. And that was fun. <laughs> That's very Patrick Troughton mm-hmm. as a moment. I also love how we have Jamie defending the tunnel. 
I mean, it's yeah. yeah. I, I I knew you'd like that, Julie. Of course, I did. The thing that helps keep this from being like a one is the interactions between the TARDIS crew remains constant. So the Jamie and the Doctor snarking at each other, Zoe being smart, Zoe and Jamie having those asides and talking about the Doctor, all of those still exist. So that's like one of the redeeming qualities of this whole thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're just lessened. I also don't get why we have Madeline just continuing to pretend that she's not in league with them until Cavan casually walks in. And then it's like, oh, yeah, she obviously is. It's been obvious to all of us for like three episodes now. She was trying to get Milo to not call the Space Corps. I know. But Even though at, at this point, I mean, because the general is such a moron, he's going to believe her over him anyway. Yeah. All right. Episode five. Well, let's also point out episode four. One other good thing. It's kind of cliche, but I like the line, the ending line of episode four. Anybody else want to die like a hero? I like <laughs> that, that is good. That's good. very yeah, cliche, that's good. but wonderful nonetheless. Yeah. But then he ruins it because in the beginning of episode five, when he's talking to Madeline, who apparently didn't realize that they were actually being violent as pirates, seems kind of weird to me. He he says <laughs> that he was the one doing the space piracy. He actually says the space piracy. And then he says it again later. In case you didn't know. What the hell? These were space pirates. Yes, in space. (laughs) (sighs) And then we're led to another cell. That weird ass library study place? Yes. Which clearly wasn't a set for something else that they were reusing on the cheap. Oh, I don't know how these allegations come up, but no. Here's the thing with that. The library that we see on the recon, we don't actually have any screen caps of this story from the time. So that's a Photoshop of the actor. When when we meet Dom later in episode five, the actor who played Dom, we don't know what he looked like in this story. So that's a photo of him from something else photoshopped into a library from something else that may or may not have actually been what was used in the show. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame there were no telesnaps of this one. But Well, that is really is a shame because when Dom gets introduced as a character and I hear about his history with Milo, as he starts to speak, I hear how he speaks. I was like, you bastards. You're going to give me two Milos now in this <laughs> damn cereal. But now I don't know because like how he looked like, I'm like, well, he looks like that because he's been like in prison for a while. But now I'm kind of wondering, it could have gone either way. Maybe he wasn't too Milo-ish. Maybe they had him dressed differently or he could have been dressed in, you know, plaid and neckerchief as well. Yeah. And then I would yeah. have really hated it. His, his that- whole plot point was really confusing and underdeveloped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, what I thought was happening is that he had always been known to have been down there by Madeline and that Kevin the entire time was using her father against him. But then come to find out when I was like really looking into it, it's like, no, she didn't know until it became necessary for her to know. And then that's when Kevin called it out. And I was like, so you were just holding him prisoner for this, like, like, long <laughs> like maybe like- a decade. That's I don't understand it. It's like, okay, how long were you holding this guy that everyone thinks is dead, but you've already, you've already got her working for you. Yeah. It- I- uh- Imprisoning her dad in his own study 
why has she never gone in there? Like that, that seems... she, yeah, that she said, I'm closing this and no one can ever go in it again, which is a little dramatic in the first place. But at any point, they didn't really have a guard on the door before now when they put other people in there. She could have gone in there and found him. Yeah. Who was bringing him food? Did she never notice anyone going to the, <laughs> to the study to bring her dad food? Nothing makes sense. Absolutely nothing makes sense. And we get like weird percussion in the music. I just have to point that out that that was another weird thing that was happening around this time. And I'm just like, I don't know why any of this is happening. Separately from Kevin's insanity perspective, he wants to frame Clancy after he murders him, basically. Yes. What a dick. He's not a very strong bad guy. No. He's not smart. I don't really know what his end goals are other than just have this or that he's going to make some money off. Like, that's not compelling just yeah, for the money. I, I don't it's see not. why anyone works for him. He's not a charismatic leader or a good character that, you know, you don't like what they're doing, but you can kind of root for because they're fun. He's just an ass. Yeah. Tobias Vaughn, he is not. No, no. Absolutely not. So, Dervish. I was hoping against all hope that he would kind of do what Fushim did and that he would turn on his leader and, and he would like subvert Kevin and, and help out the TARDIS group. No, absolutely have, not. Have an arc? Just, yes. <laughs> no, he just remains terrible. And I'm like, okay, that was nice. Moving on. I do like the escape from the study with the wax and the marbles. It's very classic and almost cliched, but... I thought that was fun. That was I would love cool. to actually see that. Oh, we also had Zoe not knowing how a candle works. But she did know in the mind rubber. <laughs> I don't understand. I, I, like, I blocked that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not dwell on that. I still don't know how when they escaped, how did Zoe and Jamie get left behind? Yeah, that seemed missing. I missed that as well. I, I was very confused as to why they were not with them. Okay. It made no sense. Riley, did you did you get it? No. Okay. I did not get anything. Because it was like, okay, we're escaping, and then all of a sudden we're at the launch site, and they're just gone. That leads us into our cliffhanger as the Doctor goes out to try and find them and gets caught up in the blast from the remote launching of the spaceship. Episode six of this wretched story. <laughs> oh, boy. We get Dom and Milo on board the Liz, so two old-timers back together. Did anyone else, whenever Milo was talking to him and saying his name, keep hearing dog rather than dumb? I heard a lot of things. I didn't understand any of them. I really wish there had been subtitles. Mm. Just pops and whistles. Yes. I didn't really hear anything one way or the other. I think I was just mentally just trying to get through. Like I said, I was reading on the transcript like at the same time as it was listening to it just to try to get an understanding and it didn't help to know what they were actually saying anyway so don't worry about it <laughs> the dialogue while there's a lot of it doesn't matter that's good to know <laughs> going back to Kevin being the worst he has kept madeline's father trapped in his own study for however long it's been madeline thinks he's dead as soon as she finds out that her father's actually alive Kevin basically forces her to watch as she loses him again as he cuts the oxygen. That's brutal. Yeah, and I found it really odd because he's had her on his side for, for however long, and it had been working out really well. And then all of a sudden he's like, 
you know what? You know how I'm going to best approach this is I'm going to kill her dad in front of her. I'm like, the moment her dad dies, she's going to turn on you. Yeah. It's like if he was a more charismatic or at least manipulative guy, that whole thing. But he was like basically just trying to bully her before that she even found out her father was alive. It was just like, what is the point of this? It made no sense. I, I didn't understand. Like this long game that you've been playing for a decade. I'm sorry. It didn't pan out for you. On the bright side, we have Jamie punching Dervish. Thank God. Who didn't stay unconscious for very long at all. Dervish is probably like my least favorite character. I understand that Kevin is a dick, but Dervish is just the lackey that I cannot stand. He could have been something. He had a degree. (laughs) (laughs) That's what this is all about. He's trying to pay off his student loans. It all makes sense now. (laughs) Well, most people that get out of fine art end up going to space piracy. So. <laughs> it's the business. It was a serious future. option once once I was done with my history masters. I'm not gonna lie. Towards the end of this, I got really confused of what was actually happening because you've got the Liz spacecraft that is being piloted from afar, mm-hmm. um, and they're gonna die from the lack of oxygen. And then we've got the planet that's about to get destroyed, but also at the same time, it's like. The doctor was helping Clancy from afar and it's like, okay, so are they going to come to the rescue? But like, they're still trying to figure things out. And then like, oh, well, all these bombs are here. I guess we have to go take care of it. Just I think it was one bomb. It wasn't very logical. Uh, They (laughs) they helped disarm the thing that was remote controlling the Liz so that Milo could actually contact the Space Corps and spend five minutes telling them to listen to him, even though they weren't interrupting him before getting to the damn point. And then the doctor has to go and disarm the bomb that the pirates are going to explode as soon as they get out of its range. Yeah, so they have to get Dom and Clancy back to Isigri's base so that they can let the doctor and, and crew out so the doctor and crew can go and disable the bomb. Oh, yeah, it oh, was very, okay. very convoluted. Okay. Oh, that's the worst. I didn't. Wait, what do you mean by take them back there? I thought because the doctor and, Z- and Zoe and Jamie were already at the base, but they were locked. They were locked up. They couldn't. They were trapped. So they had to get the Liz back. So there was a line in there about how even though Hermac and Co were on their way, they wouldn't get there in time. Where were they, they trapped? Bring- were they trapped in somewhere else again after they got out of the library or wherever it was, the office? I think Dervish locked them in. Yeah, they got locked back in the office. Oh, God. Not the study. Yeah. But the, the I, I lost count of how many places they were locked <laughs> yeah. in. And so they were locked in. While Hermac and co. were on their way, they wouldn't have got there in time to disable the bombs, so they had to bring the Liz back. If I say I believe you, will you stop explaining this bullshit story? (laughs) Yes. Yes, I will. I believe you, sir. Please stop explaining the bullshit story now. Thank you. (laughs) I had such trouble watching this serial that before I started episode six, I went onto Wikipedia page to get more background. I'm like, what the hell happened? What is going on? (laughs) And I read that Troughton, Padbury, and Hines, for the episode six of this serial, all of their stuff was pre-filmed, like inserted into this because they were too busy working on the monstrosity known as the war games that's coming up next. Exactly, as uh, I said in the uh, behind the scenes. 
And I just kept, when I saw that, I'm like, oh, great. So we have more disconnected scenes of our TARDIS crew and this serial. That's wonderful. Great way to wrap it up. And that's why I think I got so confused and why the last episode was so disjointed is I don't think they did a good job of knowing what scenes needed to flow into each other. And it was just very much like cut and paste and it just did not work. And then at the ending, we have... Madeline basically, oh, I've got to go back for trial, but they're saying, oh, she won't really be punished very harshly. Why not? She was because a she's rich and white. Uh, apparently, that's it. <laughs> it's like you, they weren't blackmailing you until like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> you were, you know, yeah. pretty heavily involved in this. Because <laughs> she's rich and she owns the legal system as a result. Sure. But on an interesting note, we have an ending where the crew doesn't have a little scene inside the TARDIS or see them walking back into the TARDIS, they don't get back to the TARDIS. You don't see it. They're going to have to get a ride in the Liz and we get Jamie being like, oh no, not the Liz again. I'd rather walk. (laughs) Everyone laughs. You may have to, yes. And then freeze frame like the end of a police squad episode. Yes. I mean, it's the only thing they can do when we're about to get a story that starts in World War One next week. So, (sighs) thanks for that, Anthony. God, every time War Games. It's called the War Games. It's about war. She thought I was referencing the Matthew Broderick. They're gonna meet Matthew Broderick. (laughs) It's gonna be great. I love Matthew Broderick. I actually watched Godzilla this past week. Nice. um, From the nineties. Oh, not nice, but still. We're, that, we're done, right? That brings, it's over. Yeah, we're done. Let's 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 rate this sucker. Okay, please don't punch me next time. But Julie, you're up first. Going into this conversation, I thought I was going to be generous, and then we had our conversation, and I'm no longer going to be generous. <laughs> this is just bad. There's not a lot of redeeming qualities about this. The plot doesn't really make sense. The direction is poor. You just have a handful of scenes where Jamie, Zoe, and the Doctor do their normal thing that we all know and love, but they're so few and far between that it's just overall not enjoyable. I don't even think that having the actual episodes would help. So I'm going to give it 1.5 flying space minnows out of 10. Ooh. Okay, Riley, you're up next. You know, I don't like being negative. I didn't want to bash this cereal into oblivion, but it kind of deserves it. It doesn't help, as we mentioned before, the episodes were missing, the sound quality and the reconstruction was poor. But as Julie said, even if we had all that, I don't think it would make that much of a difference. Like I said, it's hard to find something positive to focus on. There's nothing remarkable that I could really pull out other than maybe the two quotes that I liked from it. Like I mentioned before, This is all about Milo. He's effectively written as the lead of the story. And if you don't like Milo, then you're not going to like the story. And I hate Milo. (laughs) I hate Milo a lot. (laughs) If I really hated myself or I wanted to harm myself, I would go back and try to gauge the screen time of and the lines spoken. And I guarantee you Milo would have more than anybody else. But I won't be doing that. So everyone is aware of my dislike of the gunfighters (laughs) yep the only question is whether this is worse than it and i think it is so i'm giving it one and a half jumping grasshoppers out of ten wow (laughs) all right done the thing about this story is it does have a a reputation as being the worst trouton story and maybe one of the worst doctor who stories of all time i think it is slightly in the Testimony better 
than its reputation, but not by much. It's mainly defined by what it isn't. It doesn't have any badly designed monsters that we'll never see again. It's not a base under siege. And, I mean, Zoe's outfit is pretty hot. You got that going for it. (laughs) But the plot is strictly rough draft needs to be filling out. There are comedy voices that aren't funny that really ruin what the plot could have done. It needed a rewrite. It needed a better director. It's it's not the worst Doctor Who story I've seen. It's not even my least favorite. It was at least watchable and it didn't try to, you know, sell some really stupidly conceived political view. So it didn't offend me. It was just bad. I'm giving it 1.75 pieces of burnt space toast. <laughs> I think that's the first time we've gone in a quarter of a point. So cool. All right. So that leaves me and I wanted to enjoy this. I often support the underdog in stories that fandom hates. And I wanted to give this one the benefits of the doubt, precisely because so much of it is missing. Uh, And I came into it thinking that I was going to rate it higher than I'm going to. But in talking to everyone else, yes, it feels like a rough draft. Yes, the accents are terrible. The plot has a lot of holes and a lot of things that don't make sense and characters who don't behave rationally. and. I struggled. I struggled more than I did with Dominators. So I think I'm with Julian Riley on this one. And this one will get 1.5 unkempt and unshaven locked up fathers. You know, just to make it even, I will lower mine to a 1.5. I am not that committed to that that extra quarter of a point. Well, that gives us the average for this story of 1.5, which makes it our least favorite Doctor Who story so far. So good job, gang. Well, this is where we bring our story discussion to an end. Very quickly before we wrap up, we do have one item of mail, and we're actually going to start trying to talk about some of the feedback that you lovely people have been leaving on our Facebook page. And our friend J.M. Casey commented on our episode where we discussed the second part of the invasion. And he told us that the term cyber director, which I used relentlessly, actually came from the Fraser Hines audio narration of the novelization. And that Tobias Vaughan is actually brought back in one of the Virgin New Adventures featuring the second Doctor. And that's, that book was, I believe, Original Sin. So thank you for all of that, J.M. With that... We are bringing things to an end. We will be back next time when we start tackling the era-ending pick that is The War Games, another long-un that we'll be breaking up into two podcast episodes. But for now, thank you very much for listening and have a good one. Watches in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philpack, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, No Other Women in Space, was recorded on Wednesday, the 31st of March, 2021. If this is your first time listening in, all of our previous episodes are available on your favorite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watches4D. And you can also email us at Watches4D at gmail.com. We do enjoy your feedback. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of these things really do help the show. And always remember, just because it's by Robert Holmes 
doesn't mean that it's automatically a classic. This is a case in point. 